0: That was the first and only vice presidential debate of the 2020 campaign. I'm Dominic Patton, senior editor for Deadline Hollywood.
1: And I'm Ted Johnson, political editor at Deadline. You are joining uh, POTUS 2020 Battleground America, a Deadline podcast.
0: Today, we're gonna be talking about all things VP, but of course, this being Donald Trump's America, that story is already old news now we're talking about how there's probably not gonna be a second presidential debate. And we will be joined later in in, in the podcast by Dr. Malina Abdullah, who is the co-founder of the LA chapter of Black Lives Matter. But first of all, let's talk about what we saw or didn't see last night. It was kind
1: of a fly in the ointment debate, Pence was actually much smoother than Trump was uh, last week, Uh, and uh, he smoothly dodged many of the questions, as we saw. Uh, But there was the matter of this fly, and Dominic, uh, it got so much attention, I couldn't help but think uh, that this insect was kind of a reminder of what this race is all about and that is the endless buzz we hear from Donald Trump. Here we have- (laughs) you are
0: outdoing yourself today, my friend. I I, actually
1: wrote that one out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All all, all, all I kept thinking is when I saw that fly, there were two things that happened. One, vice presidential debates never really are barn burners to begin with. Um, This was two fairly adult individuals of very different political stripes acting kind of like a traditional debate. They argued about things and they disagreed. Pence interrupted a lot, like his boss, but that, that's the GOP strategy. But that fly made me think, A, this is boring, and two, I thought this was supposed to be a semi-sterilized environment, like every, all these protections against COVID, and there's this bug that just flew in that is perfectly placed upon the white mane of Mike Pence, and that got all the attention last night. Because, honestly, the real attention here was these guys are one heartbeat, maybe even less, away from the White House, and they're clearly both competent people. I would not choose Mike Pence to be President of the United States because I've seen Handmaid's Tale, and I know how that ends up. But I would definitely say they both showed that they were qualified to step into the Oval Office. So no Dan Quayle there, and no, you know, no, I I knew Al Gore. Al Gore was a friend of mine, and you're no Al Gore. But really, as the low ratings that we're seeing already are showing, this did not energize America. And it didn't change one single thing in the race. Yeah, there were a
1: lot of predictions that this debate really wouldn't change much. And I I, I agree with that. I think there there was some intrigue uh, in the whole idea that, that these were both candidates uh, who are serving uh, at the top of the ticket, uh, men who are in, in their mid to late seventies. Uh, so there's a whole idea Biden, of
0: seventy-eight years old when Yes, he
1: there's a, there's this when whole idea killed. that you know they may have to step in, and uh, I think it was unfortunate that one of the questions from Susan Page, the moderator of the debate, was about presidential succession, and they didn't really answer that question to any great degree
0: as to you know. But you know what? But I but I will say this. Two things. One, you're being very generous with the term moderator for the USA Today, uh, Washington, D.C. bureau chief, because like Chris Wallace, she lost control early and never regained it. And, and, you know, your time's up, Mr. Vice President, is not a sustainable way to be in charge of a debate where someone is clearly ignoring the rules. The second thing I would say is I kind of get dodging the succession question because it's a really uncomfortable thing. It's like you're basically talking about your buddy dying, and that's kind of your gig. You know, look, we all know what FDR's first vice president, the disloyal John Garner, once said about the VP office, that it wasn't worth a bucket of piss, though I think that was cleaned up at the time. This is because, as you point out, these two individuals are very close to the, to the, 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 the big chair in more ways than one. I just think in a way it's kind of like putting a hat on the bed. You just don't want to jinx it. So you just don't talk about it. I get it. It's I I get also it's a dodge, but I get why you would do it.
1: I, uh, uh, I'll disagree just a little bit there. And that is Susan page. Yes. She kind of lost control of the time. I thought her questions were really good though. Uh, the problem is she didn't follow up or maybe she didn't have, I I don't, I actually
0: think by the rules of the commission, you're not really allowed to follow up because it, it's two minutes to the question and then the response. And then because of the way they allocate nine topics, in this case, uh, over these 10 minute periods of time, you're actually pretty slodged in. But the greater problem is, yes, you're right. Susan Page did ask some really good questions. Mike Pence didn't answer any of them. And, and, and Senator Harris only answered about 80% of them. So that's, you've kind of got a problem when, you're, when your participants, just they believe there are no rules to this game
1: and uh and uh, even susan page this morning she gave an interview to usa today and she said yeah that was an unfortunate aspect as these candidates just weren't answering my question um uh, pence last night i i actually thought that he he did fairly well uh, yes. as smooth as he was um you know this was an improvement uh, anything probably would have been over last week but uh the problem and this is why you know, the fly, the buzz, (laughs) Donald Trump's buzz was inevitably going to rear its ugly head. And that's exactly what happened this morning. The president calls in to Fox News, Fox Business, gives this hour long interview. And today the story is not about how well Pence did or how well Kamala Harris did. It's the whole question of will Donald Trump participate in this next debate, which is going to be a virtual town hall format, and in uh, and a few other things that Donald Trump said in this interview, it's it's this constant uh, constant stepping on your own message, even in the face of of a good evening, a good. Story. Well,
0: his, I mean, Donald Trump's message is always Donald Trump, the ex Celebrity Apprentice host. That's all he wants to talk about. And you and I talked about this last night privately when we were were chatting as we were watching the debate. Like, you know he was going to stamp over this. Right away, he started tweeting about it. And then immediately he was jumping over it and jumping over it and jumping over it. He can't stand the story not being him. The fact of the matter is the President of the United States is sick with COVID-19, recovering perhaps, but definitely sick. He is jacked up on a cocktail of drugs, which he supposedly is going to be offering free to the American public, though when that was left uh, unknown, and he is ranting, simply ranting, infecting people left, right, and center. Suppose the White House, those who participate in meetings with him in the Oval Office are in full protective gear. Um, there is a super spread that probably happened out of that September 26th uh, Rose Garden uh, event announcing the Supreme Court nominee, and there's more and more and more and more happening. And this now, this I won't participate, it's a virtual re- event, I'll, I, I'm very, very interested in the latter part of what he said after that, which is, we'll probably have a rally instead. You know, kind of like I'm going to get everyone sick <laughs> yes. again. Like this is he—he he has no inclination that 200 more than 210,000 Americans are dead. 7.5 million Americans, including himself, the first lady, and most of the upper echelon of the White House staff, and, are, are infected with, with confirmed cases of this. It's like. And I think this was true of Pence and Harris yesterday. These were two adults speaking, as I've said, but they were two adults on two different planets. In many ways, separated by plexiglass, that was a virtual event, a happening in virtually different time zones, different states of mind, different galaxies. And I just think at this point, this thing is a, is a slow, painful crawl to the end in November.
1: Kamala Harris, uh, I, I I thought she did well. Uh, and uh, But there were moments when I thought there were some missed opportunities there. Um, I thought her strongest point was right out of the gate uh, when talking about the coronavirus and kind of prosecuting the case against yeah. the administration's response. But Susan Page asked Mike Pence a question. You know, here he is, the Uh, the the head of the Coronavirus Task Force, and he participated in this Rose Garden event for Amy Coney Barrett, which turns out to be a super spreader event, Uh, and Pence really didn't answer that question. I thought it was a missed opportunity for Kamala Harris to come back uh, and ask him directly, you know, don't you feel any responsibility? Why didn't you follow essentially the own guidelines of the CDC and even your task force in participating in this event, which you can see by the images, people were violating the rules
0: all over the place. Well, you know, I do think Senator Harris, look, Senator Harris is clearly a historical figure. She's the first woman of color to be on a national ticket. Um, But the junior senator from California is slightly hobbled by her own resume and also by the position she now holds as a as a, as essential, you know, the great glorified sidekick, which is what the vice presidency is until it isn't. Um, she has a very strong record as a prosecutor, as a California Attorney General. That record doesn't always attract the best response. Some m- sometimes from from members of communities of color but also from criminal justice reform advocates and many others as well. Sometimes those communities of Venn diagram over top of each other. I think she also has to play against one of the great, terrible stereotypes of our age, which is the angry black woman. And I think in her case, in the Biden campaign case, what they were going for is don't say no evil, speak no evil, cause no trouble. And that was kind of where they wanted her to be. I think also coming out of her performance in the primary debates where she had been pretty hardcore, to her credit, I might add, too, in my opinion. Um, they wanted to tone it down to this was, uh, the, this was the Kamala Harris you could have a latte with, and they were hoping that you felt that way, whereas Mike Pence was on full robot mode. I will give Mike Pence this, though, and I think this is forgotten. Mike Pence was a radio host for yes, many years. Yes, a lot of people overlooked he, that fact. He, he still plays that game, buddy. He's got that voice for it. He, and surprisingly, and this really surprised me, because he was the Joe Biden in some ways last night, Pence. He looked at the camera directly a lot. Senator Harris, maybe it was the way she was angled on those plexiglass um, uh, uh, plexiglass, uh, desks and what have you, uh, plexiglass protected desks and what have you, and Susan Page, she was on an angle a lot of the time. It wasn't, wasn't straight shooting. And I think that that physical image plus some of the, the, the hindrances or the the restraints that the campaign were bringing to her, I did think that kind of put her in a disadvantage. I think that that was okay, though, because she wasn't looking for a home run. She was looking not to get a foul ball. And I think that's what she achieved. Uh,
1: the, um, I agree with you. I think that that uh, that she came, you know, it's such an overused cliche, but she kind of did what she needed to do uh, especially as a vice presidential candidate, do no harm. Uh, this was not a debate like we had four years ago when it was clear that Pence won that debate. Yeah. Uh, for By mere fact that you had Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's running mate, uh, who is a very nice guy, act as this kind of bulldog. He wasn't himself. And that was pretty apparent to any of the viewers that this is not you know, it was him doing the interrupting uh, that this was not the, the kind of person that you had seen earlier in the campaign. I thought uh, Harris uh, was, was authentic. She was the way that we've seen her before. Um, and I totally agree that there is this double standard out there for female candidates and especially uh, female candidates of color. It's interesting that Senator Harris actually was uh, doing a Biden fundraiser with Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton kind of gave her a few tips on that point and kind of signaled uh, the way that uh, that the demeanor that Harris would display last night.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that, you know, uh, Joe Biden is flying out uh, to Nevada to meet up with uh, Senator Harris. They are clearly going to do a bus tour victory lap. They, they deserve it. They're leading in the polls and nothing that the Trump campaign is doing, the Trump-Pence campaign is doing seems to be intended to get them out of it. They just seem to be digging deeper in my opinion. But there's over three weeks to go. And as, any, as you've predicted many times, What we're talking about today in four hours, let alone tomorrow, might not be what we're talking about anymore. Since we last since we debuted POTUS 2020 last week, the president of the United States has had COVID. We've had a vice presidential debate. A stimulus package has been killed now, maybe revived. What's going to happen this afternoon? Who knows? China's China's flying over Taiwanese airspace all the time. That could be the next the next subject. Um, I do think it's important, though, that as we. Uh, discuss the historic nature of Senator Harris as the first uh, person of color, the first woman of color on a national ticket. There are some issues I I believe that in this year that has seen the death of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, both killed by police and many, many others, uh, people of color across America and protests and uprisings and call for reform. I feel in many ways it's important to talk about those discussions and we are very fortunate today to be joined by a guest who has a distinct take on that, and one which is very localized for those of us here in Los Angeles, and that is the co-founder of the Los Angeles chapter of Black Lives Matter, and the chair of the Department of Pan-African Studies at California State University, of Los Angeles, which is Dr. Melina Abdullah. Dr. Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Right off the bat, what did you think of the vice presidential debate last night?
2: I thought it was, um it left a lot to be desired. There wasn't, there weren't as many um, fireworks as I thought there would be. I thought there it would be. Um, I, of course, all of us were glued to our TV sets, trying to. Well, I guess not TV sets, our iPhones, right? Trying to um, see what was going to happen. I think the most interesting thing that happened was the fly on Mike Pence's head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the one one that of sure
0: the,
1: got a lot of <laughs> attention.
2: <laughs> right. A lot
0: of attention, that fly. That I mean that that fly might be up for Secretary of State and the Biden administration <laughs> at that point. Though I was surprised, how does a fly get into what's supposed to be basically a sterilized environment? Like right. and yet again. Yet again. Every now and then I've the
2: seen camera? a fly on a plane and wondered the same thing. Like how did no. a fly get on the plane? Right. I
0: know. A Fly yeah. on a plane might be a better movie than Fly on Mike's Mike Pence's head. Um, <laughs> but one thing that struck me is I felt that it was a fairly traditional. Presidential, vice presidential debate. All things considered, whatever you think of the participants, there were at least two grown-ups in the room. Though Mike Pence was doing a lot of the interrupting, and Susan Page, in my opinion, just totally lost control. But I wanted to ask you: is there was a very interesting moment with Senator Harris, where she talked about Breonna Taylor. She talked about racial injustice. She talked about systematic racism, which the Trump-Pence administration basically deny. What was your feeling about that moment, because I felt, as a a white guy, but I felt that was a historic moment in American history that we saw happening on American television.
2: Well, I think that much of it was historic. It's the first time we've seen a woman on stage as a vice presidential candidate, uh, or a woman of color on stage as a vice presidential candidate. First time that we've seen a Black person on stage as a vice presidential candidate. Um, So there was a lot that was historic, but I think that, you know, we've kind of uh, come to um, accept things. Everything is so wild in this world right now. We're kind of um, accepting historic things as normal, right? But with the Brianna Taylor, I think that um, with her response to Brianna Taylor and racial injustice, I think that was Kamala Harris's strongest point, her strongest moment of the night. Um, Initially, I was a little uh, frustrated with Harris because I felt like she spent a lot of time trying to broaden the reach of the Democratic Party rather than deepening the reach, right? Rather than um, kind of bringing people of color along, bringing women along, bringing progressives along. I'm thinking about the Barney supporters who are so, um, you know, really want to see a progressive agenda and I don't think that she uplifted that until we got to Breonna Taylor and then her response to Breonna Taylor's murder I thought was really really strong and it was important that she uplifted that there is systemic racism especially after Mike Pence denied the existence of systemic racism. Um, I thought it was important that she uplifted the fact that you know police Um, do have both implicit and I'll add explicit biases and behave in a way that um, advances white supremacy and that she um, pointed to Donald Trump's unwillingness to condemn white supremacy. And I thought that she was really strong. That was her strongest moment of the night.
1: What did you think of Mike Pence's interruptions of her Uh, a, A lot of commentary this morning about, hey, this wouldn't happen if that was a male candidate.
2: I think that's absolutely true. I think that we saw Mike Pence constantly interrupt. Kamala Harris, I thought, did an excellent job of asserting herself. You heard her say, I'm speaking. I'm speaking repeatedly that at least drew the viewer's eye to the fact that she was being interrupted i thought the moderator just kind of rolled over and you know i think about how we rate very tight um speaker times one minute two minutes sometimes three minutes and even in these um local kind of um spaces of civic engagement if you go over your time they cut your mic i'm sure There's a feature that they could have just cut his mic when he was interrupting, but I think that, you know, in a way they're kind of complicit in allowing this um, white male identity to constantly interrupt and disrupt um, a woman of color from speaking.
0: Dr. Abdullah, you know, a lot of people have talked about it. It's pretty clear now there isn't going to be any more presidential debates with, with Trump refusing to participate in a a COVID-infected Trump refusing to participate in a a virtual debate with former Vice President Biden. Uh, people have talked about what could have been done to make both the presidential debate and the vice presidential debate uh more congenial for lack of a better expression. And they have talked about cutting off mics. I, I feel very strongly that cutting off mics is a very anti-democratic thing to do because to me, that's sort of, it's one of those many small steps down a dangerous road. I often wonder, and I, and I know that you certainly uh, in, your, in, your, in your activist role and in your academic role, you deal with crowds of people all the time. That's part of what you do. Um, to me, a strong moderator knows how to tell someone to be quiet and knows how to tell someone that they're over their time. Do you think the problem is, is less with the technology of cutting off or cutting or having mics on, and they just need stronger people to be help handling these discussions?
2: Well, I think it's both. So I think that you could have a stronger moderator. I don't think that either of the moderators in the presidential debate or the vice presidential debate were particularly strong. But I think that when you talk with people, if you think about people like Donald Trump, I don't think that even a strong moderator is going to get him to be quiet. Um, So I think that, you know, that feature is really important. And I don't think it's... Undemocratic to do so in this context. In the context of civic engagement, when you have regular citizenry engaging and using mics in that way, then I think you're right. It's absolutely undemocratic to cut mics. But when you talk about a presidential or vice presidential debate with rules that have been agreed to and constantly going over time and disrupting, I think that, um, you know, that needs to be an option.
1: Dr. Abdullah, this morning President Trump gave an interview to Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business, and he made a reference to Senator Harris. He called her a monster. What's your reaction to that, and what what do you think is going through the president's mind to kind of stoop to that level of rhetoric? And, and the radical left controls Biden. Biden won't be president for two months, okay? He won't be president for two months. So, if Biden so never what got
2: do you mean? In, you mean he'll, he'll have be, to step down? Are you saying he's you think he'll have to capable. step down after two months?
1: He's not mentally capable of being president. You know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody that knows him, he can't be president. And this monster that was on stage with uh, Mike Pence, who destroyed her last night, by the way, but this monster, uh, she says, no, no, there won't be fracking. There won't be this. There won't. Everything she said is a lie.
2: Yeah, my first reaction was a visceral reaction. As a Black woman, um, I took great offense to um, that name calling, to calling. I, I mean, there's this, I watched the vice presidential debate and I watched as Kamala Harris as a Black woman was constantly smiling throughout the debate because one of the things that's heaped upon the backs of Black women is this Um, tag of us being angry and I think the term monster kind of goes further down that road and I watched as Kamala Harris attempted to both um, weigh being strong and I thought she proved herself as a very competent person. I have um, you know my own issues and critiques of her but I think she proved herself to be competent but I also watched her as she attempted to shirk what was sure to be heaped upon her as this, you know, angry Black woman kind of um, stereotype. So I absolutely watched as she, as Kamala Harris attempted to um, dispel that stereotype of Black women as angry um, by smiling, by trying to weigh and balance what it means to be a strong leader against this um, imposition of um, kind of black women as angry. And, you know, some scholars call these controlling images, right? The idea of black women as angry. And um, I think that Donald Trump, when he used that term monster, he went even further down that road.
0: Dr. Abdullah, to talk about leadership, let's let's get on a little bit of a local level here. Obviously, um, the past uh, the past several months have seen a, a unfortunately the way it was it was galvanized, unfortunate but welcome spotlight on racial injustice and systematic racism in our society. Specifically, let's be honest here in the city of Angels itself, Los Angeles. You have been very, very strong in your leadership of opposition to long-term Los Angeles County District Attorney Jackie Lacey, who is seeking a third term. She came just short uh, earlier this year in the primaries, about forty-nine like nine, 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 nine percent but didn't <laughs> make it to the over 50%. So there's a runoff. We have seen a number of civic leaders, from Mayor Eric Garcetti to Representative Adam Schiff and many others rescind their support of Jackie Lacey, and move it to to her opponent, uh, the former district attorney of San Francisco and a former LAPD officer himself. I wanted to get some of your thoughts upon this because many people have said, and I know you have spoken about this, underneath the national races, the LA County DA's race is seen as one of the most important in the nation.
2: Absolutely. The eyes of the entire country are on Los Angeles. Um, And sometimes we skip the importance of local races. We need to be very clear that local races affect our day-to-day lives on a more constant basis than you know, even our national race, and so our races. So it's really important that we look at the role of district attorneys. Los Angeles has been given kind of this um, benefit of the doubt as being a liberal city, as being Tolerant as being one that's progressive in terms of criminal justice, and those actually are not true. Los Angeles County has more killings at the hands of police than any other locale in the country. Um, 622 people have been killed by police or while in their custody since our current district attorney, Jackie Lacey, took office. Now, Jackie Lacey is one of those happens to be black people. Mean by that is that she's descriptively black, what Lani Guinier calls descriptively black, but doesn't represent the interests of the black community. And so, when we think about everything from her unwillingness to prosecute police in 621 out of 622 cases um, to her um, use of the death penalty exclusively against people of color. To her unwillingness to expunge marijuana records until the law forced her to do so. And at the very last minute, she finally complied, right, we see someone who doesn't represent um, The will of the people. And so we have been protesting in front of her office every single week for the last three years and now that an election is coming we have an opportunity to finally remove her Um, so our chant is jackie Lacey must go jackie Lacey will go and so we're hoping that she will go on november 3rd um she we forced her into a runoff uh in 2016 she actually ran unopposed and so we know that our protests we know that the light that's been shined on her terrible record um, brought very um, qualified candidates to run against her this year and that we forced her into a runoff um with she garnered 48.75 percent of the vote um when she needed 50 plus percent plus one so it was very narrow but we're hoping that as people look around the country and they look at other people who i would say are parallel to her people like daniel cameron who's attorney general in kentucky and is largely responsible, who's another, you know, um, uh, I'll use Zora Neale Hurston's term, another one of the skin folk who ain't kin folk, right? He's black, but he's married to Mitch McConnell's niece. He's being re- groomed by the Republican Party. Um, he um, very much led the grand jury to a non indictment of the officers who murdered Breonna Taylor. Um, this is kind of a parallel to who Jackie Lacey is and why it's so important to vote, not just in the presidential election, but all the way down the ballot. Well,
1: Dr. Abdullah, what, what makes you confident or are you confident that her opponent, George Gaston, will, will offer something different?
2: So I will say that we are not, I am not endorsing Gascon. I'm saying vote for somebody other than Lacey. He happens to be the one that's on the ballot, right? Um, I'm saying that's that re- that's I,
0: real politicking, Dr. Abdul. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think that, you know, it's important that we remember that the district attorney's office in and of itself is problematic. And I'll say I've had the good fortune of meeting with Gascon on several occasions and one of the reasons he did ask for my endorsement one of the reasons I told him that I can't endorse him is because I said I'm sure you're going to do something where we're going to have to protest you too and you know it's the nature of the seat and what I loved is that his response was okay well the door will always be open and we'll never have you arrested for protesting and so I think that, you know, that's a good indicator. He's um, committed to opening up, reopening some of the cases of police murder that Jackie Lacey signed off on, um, including the murder of Brendan Glenn, who um, ousted police chief Charlie Beck, actually recommended that officer for charges and Jackie Lacey still declined. Um, He has committed to... Um, reopening the the case um, where Christopher DeAndre Mitchell was murdered in Torrance by police officers in a span of 15 seconds. Um, And he's committed to reexamining many of those cases um, that have not yet been decided upon. And so I think that's encouraging for both the families of those who've been killed as well as organizers um, who want justice out of, as much justice as we can get out of a DA's office.
0: Dr. Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We really appreciate your insight and your time. We hope you will come back and join us for a future podcast down the line, because at this rate, this election might be going on until January 2021.
2: (laughs) Right, especially when Trump's not agreed to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses. You know, that's that's a problem. So yes, I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview. You know, I I really, I think it's such an important point she brings up is that as much as we talk about the national campaign, of course, this this is the POTUS 2020 Battleground America podcast. So that is what we're going to talk about. Local campaigns are so important. Very distinct too is, you know, when you talk about this Eric Garcetti taking back his support of Jackie Lacey. Eric Garcetti is basically the political adopted son of Joe Biden. You know, we all joke that he's probably going to be Commerce Secretary in a Biden administration. So that's a political move that probably, Probably had some conversations way at the top of the Democratic ticket, if you know what I mean. And talking about Democratic ticket, the Democratic ticket is now on a victory lap out in the great state of Nevada and many, many others, with Joe Biden flying out to join Senator Harris after her debate against Mike Pence last night. Ted, I don't know, we could talk about the week to come, we'll probably end up talking about something else, but really, where is this madness taking us going towards mid-October?
1: Well, next week, we have uh, the next debate, uh, which is uh, October 15th. (laughs) Yes. And uh, we woke up to the news this morning that the Commission on Presidential Debates uh, wants this to be, or says that this is going to be a virtual debate. So uh, the plan is for the candidates to appear from their homes or for wherever they want to be. And for it's a town hall format for the moderator and the participants in the town hall to be in Miami. This was triggered by President Trump's uh, coronavirus diagnosis and ongoing concerns over whether he'll still be contagious. Uh, After the announcement was made, the Trump campaign quickly rejected the idea. Trump said he won't participate. uh, He said he'd have a rally. As we talked He's about earlier, a, I mean, I'll have days. a rally. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, so, uh, you know, and then we have, have a bunch of Trump supporters saying, oh, no, this is unfair. Joe Biden will be having notes, he'll have a teleprompter, he'll be able to, you know, get all of these scripted lines in. Well, this morning I talked with Frank Farrenkopf. He's the co chair of the commission on presidential debates. And he assured me, he said, hey, listen, you know, with Trump and with Biden will be uh, journalists. I mean, there'll be some kind of pool coverage, I assume. So the whole idea that they'll be able to read from
0: notes, uh, you know, there's gonna be witnesses there. Um, He also- Notes I don't have, notes are fine. I mean, they they all have notes up on the podium. I mean, you know, there's been talk over the years of having glass, pure plexiglass or or clear podiums, so no one could have notes. People have notes, people make notes. I mean, we've seen over the years, I, I, I've seen in every debate a, a candidate, you know, maybe the other candidate says something, they're writing down a little note to themselves. Notes are fine. Teleprompters are a whole different game. But honestly, when it comes to teleprompters, Uncle Joe Biden has no exclusive over Donald Trump, as these crazy videos we're seeing out of the White House lawn and many others are coming. Trump is, is a teleprompter king. I'm not worried so much about that. What I'm worried about is the nature of these being debates. Becomes even lessened by virtual debates. Now, for the past several months, we've all lived in a Zoom a Zoom world, and that has become somewhat a norm because of the the pandemic and the way we communicate. I, I feel like these two guys, they, they just this this isn't a dance they know how to do with each other. And I feel like, honestly, I'm I'm not surprised Trump dropped out. Except, man, he needs this debate way more than Uncle Joe does <laughs> because he's dying out there. Well that's why
1: I'm not convinced that Trump has actually dropped out. We've seen this story before. I t- Frank Ferenkoff said, you know, yes, I heard that Trump said he's not participating, but we haven't received official notice from the campaign. It's part of me thinks that this is this is just part of the dance. You saw in the Fox News interview or the Fox business interview Trump. Uh, criticizing uh, the moderator of the debate, Steve Scully, as being an anti-Trumper. We see this over and over again. We saw it in 2016, this whole work in the refs, work in the rules in advance, and then eventually Trump will show up. And as you mentioned, you know, this, is this really something that the Trump campaign would pass up? Uh, you're, you know, a rally will get maybe 4 million viewers on a good night, but these, you know, this debate- On Fox. On Fox, uh, <laughs> this debate will get 60 million. So that's yeah. quite a bit, a bit of difference. And when you're 10 points in the hole, you kind of have to grab at every opportunity you can get.
0: Now, let's talk about that because we're now going into basically the last three weeks of this campaign. Um, the, 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 the poll spread has been very steady over the se- past several months of the pandemic, which might be endemic unto itself. Um, is there any way? October surprise is what we're waiting for. Is there any way you could conceivably see at this point that Donald Trump and Mike Pence could pull off a reelection?
1: Well, you never know, and I, I certainly think a lot of Democrats are not not falling into the trap of convincing themselves that Joe Biden has this has this in the bag, uh, just because everyone remembers twenty
0: sixteen. But, uh, but that was a much more favor- volatile year in terms of the polls. I mean, this year is incredibly volatile in every other way. The polls have been steady. The polls have
1: been steady in Joe Biden's favor. He has led the entire way, unlike 2016, when you had some bouncing back and forth. Um, I, I, the, we have this wave of polling that has come in since the last debate and the coronavirus diagnosis, and they have been in Joe Biden's favor um, incredibly good bull- polls for Joe Biden. And a lot of people say, oh, it's going to narrow. It'll narrow in the final few weeks. I, I'm i not so sure about that. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I'm starting to think that there's a, 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 a significant segment of the public that is just tired of the circus. Mm-hmm. And once the diagnosis hit, the coronavirus diagnosis, and they saw the White House response, it was just this kind of frustration. We just want this to end. We we were tired of constantly having this, this chaos from Washington, DC, um, which feeds into Joe Biden because his message is essentially, you're not gonna have to worry about me. And um, so I'm not, you know, if it's something contrived coming from Trump, you know, oh, I've got a vaccine. I'm not so sure even something like that, and not to say a vaccine is
0: contrived, but I'm saying, you know,
1: some kind of an announcement when in fact- Well, they've been
0: doing these constant, they've been doing these constant announcements to make it sound like we have a vaccine, almost, but they never, those don't seem to get traction. I've been, I've been really-
1: My point, uh, I mean, my point being that the trouble that Trump is in right now is the types of things that he might do to, gain on Joe Biden are going to just be looked upon by a lot a big share of the public as just more of the chaos.
0: Well, and I'll make, but I'll make two exceptions here and I think this is somewhere we need to lay some emphasis. You talked about that interview that he did on Fox Business this morning where there was a lot of fireworks and raged for 55 minutes. Once you got past the I'm not going to participate in a virtual debate it's a waste of my time I'm going to have a rally what struck me about that raging interview? He dissed Bill Barr. He dissed Mike Pompeo. He dissed uh, FBI Director Ray. He went after three members of his of his top members of administration. Now look, he's been after Ray for ages. That's that's a guy he appointed to replace James Comey. He seems to hate more than James Comey. But Pompeo and Bill Barr never get touched. They're the golden boys of that administration, and he went after them. Now that to me feels like Donald Trump is in a new place of of besiegement because this is reminding me of the Jeff Sessions um, Tillerson days. At this point, so I'm wondering if that if we're seeing some division there, and that could actually hinder something coming up either on a foreign policy or on Justice Department levels, because I I I keep thinking there's gonna be a Hunter Biden investigation. That's their big idea of a surprise. But the second thing, the Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearings are still scheduled to start on October 12th in the United States Senate. The Senate is kind of in hiatus until the 19th uh, under Leader M- McConnell, maybe otherwise. But I think this is where the real game is about to be played at that, at that confirmation hearing. There is something to happen. Already there are traces coming out of of the judge's participation in a religious group, which was clearly partially an inspiration for The Handmaid's Tale, where she turned out was a handmaid, which has now been slightly renamed, et cetera, et cetera. Senator Harris is going to be in those hearings, participating in those hearings. That might be her showcase, not the vice presidential debate of last night. And I think those hearings are where you're going to see some bloody knuckles of the division in this country come up. Clearly, as we saw last night in the vice presidential debate, abortion is a hot wire issue right now. This is where it could really ignite. And that could work on both sides.
1: Yeah, I think, I think Democrats, uh, there is a level of wariness over what's going to happen next week, because they all remember you know, just two years ago with the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, and this whole question of, you know, that year, did the Democrats have the Senate within their reach until the Kavanaugh hearings hit, and the kind of uh, eruption that occurred uh, during those hearings, in uh, Christine Blasey Ford, her testifying, and whether that got to the point where it worked against the Democrats, yes, it might have boosted turnout among, uh, among women in particular, and helped uh, Democrats in a lot of House races. but. A uh, lot of feeling, I think, that it hurt some of the Democrats who lost lost their seats in those those final final weeks of the campaign, and uh, yeah, because uh, it really boosted some of the turnout among uh, among Republican voters. Uh, and so I'm I'm predicting that there will be some level of caution next week, especially when it comes over this whole idea of attacking someone's uh, religion uh, so i would expect that those members of the G- democratic members of the judiciary committee will be pretty careful in how they frame their questions and careful to say hey i am not attacking you as a catholic but i'm attack- i'm i'm questioning where you stand on a woman's right to choose
0: Especially being that those Democrats, their flag bearer is uh, a Catholic himself and likely, if elected, will become the second Catholic president in the history of the United States.
1: We, we, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt we might, you know, see people make that reference several times or that the, uh, the Speaker of the House herself is Catholic and a very devout and practicing Catholic. Um, it, it's something that I, I think sometimes gets lost uh, you, especially on the conservative side where there might be some attack on someone's view and they'll say oh that's anti-catholic without realizing that the spectrum of Catholic politicians uh, in the United States really does run the gamut <laughs> um, and within the Catholic Church there's a lot of debate over abortion and over the death penalty and where people land on those those issues.
0: So as Donald Trump says that he is not going to participate in this virtual debate and he's going to have a rally or whatever craziness he's going to go, now former Vice President Joe Biden is basically saying he's not going to participate either. In fact, the Biden campaign just sent out a statement saying that, as a result, Joe Biden will find an appropriate place to take questions from voters directly on October 15th, as he has done on several occasions in recent weeks. They say, we hope the debate commission will move the Biden-Trump town hall to October 22nd, so that the president is not able to evade accountability. So there's no second debate at this point, unless the Trump people are now gonna come back and say, hey, you took our ball away, we wanna play.
1: Yeah, this is kind of a way, it seems like, to force Trump's hand uh, to participate, saying, hey, listen, let's just postpone this for another week. It would mean that there would be only two presidential debates, because uh, I can't imagine there would be another one that close to the election. Uh, it's by tradition, you, you usually schedule them, the last one, two weeks out. Uh, I think the, the last time there were only uh, two presidential debates, if I'm not mistaken, was 1996. And that was with uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole.
0: Two debates um, that nobody remembers
1: anything
0: <laughs> yeah, from. They I can't recall Except, one. No, no, that's not true. I that. remember one thing from that. And I remember this because it made me laugh. Ted and I are old enough to talk about this. Bob Dole, at the end, I think it was in his closing statement, gave out his website address. And it was so uncomfortable listening to him, like, saying, going to bobdole.com. He, he clearly, like, had no concept of what that was. And it just felt like Bill Clinton, who'd been, the, who'd been president for four years, just looked, like, so much younger and more vigorous from the very get-go. That Otherwise, I have no idea what they talked about in that debate. None. Either of those debates.
1: So it would seem that this also gives the Biden campaign maybe some, you know, some some juice to say, I guess, you know, listen, we're willing to debate, but let's, you know, let's let's just push us
0: push this off for Well, another. I think it that way, but I, I think that's also you being very polite. I think also they're playing a little sharp elbows here, which they're saying, look. We gave this guy some time. This guy's a clown. As to quote the vice former vice president, what he said about Trump before, we're not we're not gonna waste our time. We're gonna go and talk to voters directly. If this guy wants to get up and be a grown-up, we'll show up and talk to him later. I think at some point they're showing that that at, at one point, it's like dealing with a child. Like at one point, you just have to your your patience runs out. And I think that they are showing that they're, not, they're just not gonna be so nice about this. They're just gonna, as, as that expression goes, the dogs bark and the caravan moves on. And I think that that's what we're seeing here. I think any, any sense of this being traditional on any level, that's just not part of the 2020 campaign. Well, listen, this has been a tumultuous week. We're going into a undoubtedly more tumultuous week. I can't help but feeling that that old expression they used to say when we were kids, you'd go to the carnival and they'd say, you get on the roller coaster and they'd say, the louder you scream, the faster we go. That seems to be the way it is in America today.
1: One final note on what to look out for in the next week, Joe Biden's campaign, having a big reunion of the Star Trek cast, Pete Buttigieg will be on that call. He's probably the number one Trekkie in politics right now. So. Be on hey, the lookout hey, hey. for that.
0: I'm a huge Trekkie. Don't say that. <laughs> but I definitely think the Federation will be proud in that fundraiser. I'm Dominic Patton, senior editor for Deadline Hollywood.
1: I'm Ted Johnson, political editor for Deadline.
0: Thank you for joining us on the POTUS 2020 Battleground America podcast. We'll be back next week, and we hope you will too. You can hear us always on here on Deadline, but also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and everywhere, podcaster platform. Subscribe.